Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Bruna podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Digjay and today I have with me Shiv Sharma, VP of International at Stocktwits. Prior to Stocktwits, Shiv was a VC at Cisco Investments, backing enterprise SaaS companies. An INSEAD Business School alum, Shiv is passionate about all things public market investing and investing education. In this episode, Shiv talks about his path leading up to Stocktwits, making the switch from venture capital to the operating side, how Stocktwits is building the world's largest social finance app, leveraging community to drive financial literacy, and why now is the right time for the company to enter India, the approach to cracking a new market with an established product, and the importance of collaborating with local partners when doing so. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Shiv. and had a lot of takeaways given shifts unique perspective to both public and private market investing i hope you enjoy this conversation too so without much ado let's jump in and find out what shiv has to share hey shiv welcome to the vc prana podcast excited to have you with us today thanks so much for taking out the time thanks man awesome to be here and thanks for having me no absolutely it's our pleasure and uh, you know before uh, we jump in and talk about stock twits and what you've been up to for the benefit of our listeners uh, let's start with a brief background about yourself you know tell us about your path leading up to stock twits so yeah sure so i started off my career in investment banking in new york at rbc capital markets in the technology group covering ipos and m&a of software fintech internet companies then like most other analysts at the in those days moved over to the buy side at a small PE firm also in New York and then I wanted to I guess at that point shift my career to Asia India so I went to INSEAD in Singapore and um you know tried to I guess move east in those days it didn't really work out I spent a summer at Fidelity um investing in Chinese internet stocks in London or based out of London and then you know wanted to actually move a bit closer to companies and back to the private side where I was before so moved to the bay area afterwards on cisco's venture capital and m&a team focused on saas and collaboration software so was there really when you know um you know when saas was super super hot you know i mean it still is hot but in those days it was even probably hotter than it is now i would say and kind of more you know when people were getting up to speed with with it and understanding the business model in a lot more depth i think now it's a well known industry but in those days it was a bit earlier on um made some really cool investments um both in india and in the us of course and then my wife and i again wanted to move back to singapore or india in those days and so um joined aws um for about 7 months in various strategy and bd roles um across apac and then um you know that you know really wasn't what i wanted to do with my career so um ended up at stocktwits so now i run international and i'm the head of india awesome and that's quite a journey and you know having seen different markets having seen uh, both the buy side sell side evaluated the due diligence on companies invested in them and now you end up being on the operator side so a lot to unpack there but you know given your uh, experience and uh, vantage point of seeing startups in different markets how do you compare the startups between the two markets you know especially comparing silicon valley to you know the emerging economies like india and maybe a follow up would be what can indian startups you know learn or where do you see room for indian startups to you know grow from where they are today look so you know um people ask me this question quite a bit and i see the gap really narrowing really quick 
So for example, you know, back when I was at Cisco, I actually invested in, in what fix in the series B. And, you know, in those days, like people would say that in, like in, from India, you can't do go to market in the U S right. And then, and then, so what fix is actually the first company that I know of at, um, at least who was doing enterprise sales, mainly from India with a small presence in the U S at enterprise scale with long sales cycles. Now, Freshworks started that a long time ago, but that's more in the SMB side. So clearly like even that gap is getting filled. And I think I'd say one general thought I have here is that, you know, in the US, you see a lot more M&A, right? You see a lot more like frequency of IPOs. The IPO market is more open. It's more like, it's whether it's a SPAC or a direct listing or a traditional IPO process, right? Like. It's just, there's just more liquidity and more exit events happening. In India, like, you're not, I'm not seeing that velocity of exits yet. One, because it's early. Two, because the um, Indian IPO market is opening. But M&A, I, I just frankly haven't seen a lot of M&A. I think a lot of M&A will happen in India. I think, I think some markets, especially in the consumer side, need to consolidate over time, right? Otherwise, you'll see significant cash burn and things like that. But you know, one issue that happens with consolidation, right, is that if you're a founder, like you don't really want to sell unless you see signs of slowing or like something is like a bit off. And that's when you kind of raise alarms and say, OK, I'll entertain an acquisition offer or or I will go out and have back channel conversations. Right. If you're killing it and still growing really quickly, you don't really need like you probably shouldn't consider M&A. Right. So um, that's the other piece is that since India's early still. I don't think the companies who likely will consolidate or be acquired have probably hit that phase in the life cycle for how early India is anyway to really, you know, really have that conversation. So that's probably the reason I would, I would uh, venture to guess. Otherwise, like I'd say the, you know, the quality of talent, the hustle, the growth is all very similar. You know, it's not that different, right? So that's all really bullish. Um, to answer your question on you know, areas for improvement, I'd say from a consumer tech perspective, one of the things that I have noticed is that the UI, UX, or design of Indian consumer products relative to US peers is not as, um, I, guess, I guess it's quite different. So I think that's a very easy fix. I just think it hasn't really mattered to this point, and it clearly hasn't impacted user acquisition metrics and retention metrics and growth metrics. So clearly it's okay, but I think that's one difference I would say that I expect will change over time and things like that. Yep, yep. No, makes sense. Uh, Shiv, you you know described your background and told us about you know the gamut of things that you've done before this, being on the private side and investing in companies. You know what led you to switch to the operating side and particularly, you know, a startup, which is building a community for public market investing. So that's, you know, quite a spectrum on both sides. So just curious to know what led you to the switch and especially to, you know, stock grids. Sure. So, you know, I have kind of been wanting to move to the operating side for quite some time. Like even when I was in investing, I felt like, you know, I mean, I don't want to say I'm bearish on venture capital. That would be an extreme statement, but like, I felt that, there's a lot of VC firms popping up. There's a lot of money out there. And I just saw more of an opportunity for me to move the needle um, on the operating side, one. Two, I thought that in the long run, you know, all the best investors who I kept running into and meeting and, and like getting advice from all had at least some operating experience. So I really felt that 
to round out my skill set as a professional, as a human being. I just really wanted that experience. And so when the soft puts opportunity came up, I was super bullish because like my passion, like I haven't discussed it much here so far, but my real passion is public markets. And so the reason for that is because I guess when I was in, in New York working on IPOs and working in tech investment banking, covering software back when Salesforce and ServiceNow were small, small companies, no one in my team or in my entire analyst floor actually owned stocks. Like maybe a few owned some, but no one really was talking about it. No one was thinking about it. It really wasn't until I got to Cisco when I just happened to be covering software and I just was really familiar with the names going public. So hedge funds who were looking at names like Twilio and Smartsheets and HubSpot all started calling me to ask me for what's actually happening on the ground. Why are these really cool companies and things like that? That's when I realized like people are, you know, are actually missing significant growth in public markets. And then I started getting into the FinTwit world on Twitter, where I started, you know, following and started kind of tweeting more over time. And I saw like there's some really smart people who probably don't understand these businesses in the depth that I do, who've significantly outperformed me over time, right? And whether that's either from buying and holding and compounding stocks over 20 years, or is it maybe via more active trading styles, right? Or it could be even like uncovering small cryptos or like small cap stocks that no one's heard of and doing like their own diligence there to kind of get ahead. And that's when I realized like, this is all greenfield. No one is really talking about this, thinking about this at any scale. And so that's why I you know, uncovered stock puts back when I was at Cisco. And so that's how I really got involved in this whole ecosystem of FinTwit. Right. Very interesting. And yeah, we've spoken a lot about this you know, offline. And you know, it's clear that public marketing investing is where you're meant to be. Uh, and you know, having seen both kind of investments, there's due diligence. And like you said, you know, different strategies to tackle and make your investments. Uh, from your vantage point, right, and this might be slightly difficult to compare, but are there common mental models that, you know, you think are relevant and applicable to both these markets, private as well as public? Yeah, so, um, you know, the it depends on the style, right? So I assume if you're comparing VC and private to public, it's more fundamental and you're going to rule out the market volatility factors, right? Yeah. So with that kind of context being laid, I would say like the main model, the main model I think that exists for many, if not most people, right, is the whole what you have to believe model, right? That's saying like, whether you're looking at Google today or Microsoft, or whether you're looking at a series B startup, the main question is, well, in order for this company to grow into its valuation or the multiple you're paying for today, in year 10 of my cash flows, what the scale and the margins have to look like at that point. Right. And that's an easier, I guess, thing to do for public markets to an extent, because you know which product lines are into, like, you know what the optionality can come from. Whereas in the VC world, while you do have a lot more data and a lot more insights and access to management, you're not, uh, it is a little more difficult to kind of forecast out, but basically it's the same thing, right? So for example, if it's a series B software company or a consumer tech company, like maybe they're operating in one demographic today, and the market size for that is limited at X, even if they were to get market share and get scale there, they wouldn't yet be at that kind of mental model number you wanna hit by year 10 for an IPO, for example, in, in which case it'd have to get into a new market or, or like market number two or market number three, right? And understanding like the pivot points and inflection points of what has to happen, what you have to believe in to underwrite that valuation is very important. That also actually helps you to know like, 
okay, as a board member, I need to be kind of guiding the company to enter this market or to hire this team. You know, it is harder in public markets because you have to sit through volatility the way you're seeing today based on the, you know, the U.S. Fed Reserve, whereas in private markets, um, you know, you don't see valuations collapse in real time. You may see it happen quarterly with, the, I guess, with a nice lag of a few quarters or so before you start to really see an impact write downs and, uh, and funding rounds and things like that. So Shiv, you know, talking about uh, stock tweets now, this company, which probably they haven't heard a lot yet, but are starting to hear a lot more, you know, tell us about what stock tweets is and why did you think now is the right time to, you know, enter India at this point? Sure. So I guess if you guys have not heard of StockTwits, um, StockTwits is, you know, one of the, you know, larger communities of investors and traders founded, I think in 2009 or so by a guy named Howard Lindzen, who's the first investor in Robinhood, first investor in eToro, things like that. And, and so we actually invented the cash tag. So back in those days, we were integrated with Twitter, where I guess somebody who would type in dollar sign Tesla, dollar sign Apple on Twitter would actually show up on the Tesla page on StockTwits. So that was our original, you know, um, the way the product was built. And then we eventually moved on in our own path to have our own user-generated content. And then we launched a brokerage, which timing of that wasn't ideal given all the other brokerages went zero commission in the U.S. And so, um, and then now, you know, we've become still like pretty large and we have 6 million users plus so far, all organic growth from, we've spent almost zero in marketing in our lifetime, in fact, right? So um, all been user, kind of all organic growth. Um, heavily benefited from the, you know, the usual COVID tailwinds of retail investors from GameStop, um, Elon's tweets, crypto, rise of crypto, all those kind of things. And recently we just raised 30 million in our series B from Alameda Ventures, who's basically FTX, as well as Times Bridge, who is, um, you know, who's the VC arm of the Times Group. And so super excited. Um, in, I'm the head of international and the India head, as I mentioned. So um, India is going to be the primary market for us outside the U.S. for the foreseeable future. And is India the one of the first markets that you're venturing out, uh, you know, outside of U.S.? So we have uh, so we have international users today, but India is going to be the first and main market for us outside the U.S. That we actually have our own go-to-market, which means you know our own social media, our yeah. own team on the ground, and things like that. So um, yeah, I, I'd say that's true. I mean, I mean, we'll do other countries in the future because. That is the goal is to be like a, you know, a pretty international platform. And so, but right now we believe, I mean, India, I think that's the market that deserves its own team and its own focus and its own uh, path. Right. So super excited. And I think, I think also, I think all the trends in India, you probably know are all true. Like all the retail investor trends are all there. And for us, the opportunity is really to build a community and build content that really um, helps educate and improve the skills and kind of success rates of retail investors. So what that means is like, you know, not everyone should become an active trader and investor, right? Like there's going to be an audience who just wants to learn about markets and follow us on social media, on Instagram, where we have two like plus followers and things like that, or our, or our daily newsletter, which is quite popular also. Who wants to just follow markets, get a feel for how things work, start tracking movements and news first. And then maybe over time, as they begin investing to be that platform that is really a vertical specific community for crypto stocks, NFTs in the future, where they can really follow like-minded investors and things like that, right? You know, right now we're seeing, you know, activity in the more active trader side in India who are kind of active on Softwits, who really, um, who are looking for trade ideas and trade setups and things like that. 
I think that's a really sticky base where India really has a lot of very passionate traders who are really good, by the way. I think retail investors get a bad knock oftentimes for, I guess, for some good reasons, but, but more on the technical side, they do a really good job on the trading. So um, that's where we're seeing initial traction so far. Right. No, very interesting. And you, you know, brought up this point of communities. And before that, you know, India is definitely right at the brink where people have access to information now, thanks to the internet democratization that happened, you know, a couple of years back, uh, the financial uh, payment system is robust and people have options to, you know, being able to fund and, you know, easily fund small ticket sizes, even to their brokerage accounts. We've seen the brokerage account counts also, you know, go up since the pandemic. Uh, so you're right. But what's important is also, you know, uh, the education and the responsibility, you know, that comes with uh, trading and investing in stocks. So one point here really quickly. So you're, you, I, I guess you nailed it, right? I think, I think no one questions access that like investing is now totally democratized, whether it's zero of the upstocks grow coin switch coin DCX plus whoever else is in the landscape, right? Like that is there. The next wave of opportunities to help educate and sharpen the skills, whether you're a beginner or whether you're a pro on how to move forward and how to get better. That's really what we're really deeply focused on. Right. And like, it's hard, right? Like, you know, to get investing right, for example, you have to like look at fundamentals, technicals, also macro, also market psychology, these four pillars, like there's not one person, not one professional, not one friend who can help you do this. And we all know Indians are naturally very social. Even Americans are very social too. Right. So I think the best way to actually learn the way I learned, by the way, is by kind of following people. I guess, while I have skin in the game and see how these people navigate markets and market cycles. That's actually how you craft your own style. And that's super important in the long run for everyone to have their own style because one size does not fit all. Not everyone's a trader. Not everyone's a long-term person. There are some, I guess there's some middle ground tactics for people who we you know who are long-term, but like don't want to sit through 50% drawdowns also, right? Like, so there's room in the middle and everyone is going to have their own style eventually. And so that's what I'm really passionate about is to help everyone kind of craft their own style and find a strategy that kind of fits their own personalities and skill sets and, and then also financial needs. So that's the opportunity for us. Absolutely. And I think that's a very important point. You know, the learning aspect, it happens more faster and, you know, it's more contextual when it happens in a community and a community of like-minded people where you think you're, they're your peers. And there's always an opportunity to learn from, you know, someone who's probably a level above you and also to share those learnings uh, with people that are, you know, probably a level below you who are just starting their journey. And I think that's where the power of community comes in. And, you know, I want to double click there and hear your thoughts about how are you thinking about, you know, the role of communities to, you know, on-ramp these people uh, to become better investors, to be more aware and more contextual about, you know, what they're investing in and the time horizon they want to invest in. It's a great point. So I think this is where like content is really matter for us. I guess, I guess, I guess really matters a lot. Right. And it's, and it's very important for us in India, especially. So like a community is great, but I think, I guess the way somebody finds their tribe or finds their group is really important because a community is actually bad if you're in the wrong community. So you need to like, and, and it's highly unlikely that the WhatsApp or Telegram groups you're in all is exactly the right for you. Right. Like that's almost unlikely for everyone who's an investor in any country in the world, right? So, you know, for us, it's to help you find the right one. And like, that's, I think the most critical piece that you're kind of alluding to here, right? And the way you do that is via content first, is by first introducing 
investors of all skill sets to different types of investors, educate them, help them find people and, you know, who explain things in the right way, the right language, the right style, the right asset class, the right type of company, right? And then once you have that, to kind of enter the Stockwoods community, meet other people, and eventually find a group that's either in a, in a private room or a public room that's, you know, like-minded. And that's, I think, the, the holy grail that we're trying to solve for. And then, of course, enrich that conversation with data and tools that really um, give that conversation a lot more context and a lot more insights, right? Um, then, of course, lastly, with transparency. So transparency yeah. is like the utmost critical thing here, right? And that's something we're really focused on is how we can find the next thousand celebrity investors in India, if not thousand, 10,000, and give them a platform to showcase their own skills based on data, based on track record, based on success, and also have a, like have a mass audience, which is available through our Instagram and our YouTube and our Twitter to, to like know who these people are, how they've developed, how they've learned, how they've grown, how they've kind of evolved their investing styles over time and how they are where they are today, whether they're 21 year old in a tier three city or even in Bombay as a, as, as on Dalal street. And so um, I think that's the mission here for the community. The other trend we're seeing that's super interesting is that we're seeing interest from people who work in highly traditional finance investing roles who really want to give back and really help educate others and share their experiences. And that's something I'm super, super, super excited about in the future. I think that's something we're seeing in India, even in, also in the US that's happening. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also the rise of the fintech influencers, right? Uh, we're seeing that in different forms, you know, on, on different platforms like Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's that's a big market for them also to target. You know, they have a wide audience that they can cater to. And probably also a platform like StockTwits can enable and amplify that. They've done a great job. So I, th I think like, I think again, I want to kind of make sure that they get the love they deserve because otherwise, like without Finfluencers, like there's people, there's millions of Indians in India who probably would not understand investing because if you turn on CNBC, people are, are using lingo that's complex, right? And that's hard if you're, if you're not studying finance or if you're maybe a science major or have, you know, your family's not understanding business and finance, how are you going to learn what a multiple, right? And so these, these influencers have done an amazing job of like being highly relatable and kind of really connecting with their target audience in a very good way. And I'm very grateful for them. I think it's a it's an amazing thing they've done, you know. And I think we're in, in the early in the early days there as well. Yep. No, absolutely. And that's just going to you know help the broader goal of helping wealth creation and reducing you know the economic gap that we that we're seeing today. Uh, Shiv, moving along, and you know one important aspect that I think our listeners will draw value from uh, is your experience of launching a new product in a completely different market in a new market. And there are some key aspects that, you know, founder needs to keep in mind before pulling the trigger on a new market. So if you could point out, you know, from your own experience, what are the aspects that you had to like over index on uh, before, you know, pulling that trigger and going full on uh, in a completely new market? Sure, sure, man. Uh, first, to be clear, we haven't launched yet in India. We're still about quarter or two away. So I'd, I'd expect sometime in Q2, you'll see a full bang on, you know, India launch. Um, but, you know, your point, I guess, is fair, right? Like coming, I guess, being a first time operator here and coming from an investor background, I put a lot of time into strategy, right? And I think that is important. I think the strategy has to be kind of thought through, 
Having said that, what I've learned very quickly is that experiments and your execution plan down to the T matter probably 50% as much, if not more than the strategy, because strategy end of the day is like probably not rocket science, right? Like it's probably something anyone who puts their head to it can probably figure out relatively quickly. It's how you execute and how you attract that first 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 users who are the right users and which experiments you take and which kind of gambles you take early to see where the product market fit lies and who that user will be is very, very important. And to do that as an investor before, I probably didn't um, appreciate how complex and how, um, and how hard it may be actually. And so that's something that I've learned a lot from. And I've also learned to kind of, um, you know, as an investor, I didn't have as much exposure to different functions like marketing, like growth hacking, user acquisition and things like that, which now I've, been, I've become pretty deep into and have a ton of respect and work very closely with people who live and breathe who are professionals in this world, um, in that, I guess, in that respective area. And so that's something I think that um, I've learned to really love. And I really enjoy that part of the business a lot, in fact. Yeah. No, I think you brought up, you know, a couple of very important points there. Uh, going to a new market is almost like, you know, launching your product to a very different audience and going through that PMF journey all over again. And having those initial set of customers, getting those customers right is important because you're right, you're doing experiments and you're, you're looping in that feedback coming in from those initial customers into your product, into your launch strategy. So getting that initial customer set is very, very critical for you to be able to, you know, build and scale the product that you want to. Another important aspect is also, you know, building the first set of, you know, uh, employees or your core team. Uh, and, you know, that brings me to like, what are the challenges that one faces when you enter a new market? I'm sure uh, hiring is definitely one of them, but if you could touch on, you know, what other challenges you face so far and you think are, you know, important to think through. So fortunately, um, I'm very bullish on my team. So, so far, um, I'm very happy. Everyone who's kind of joined Software India has been a great fit, both culturally, professionally. Um, it's been awesome so far. I'd say on that, the hard part is like, it isn't easy to find the right people because, you know, and that person may not be available on LinkedIn by just posting a job. You don't like, for example, like because every industry, especially ours, we're kind of creating a new category. The whole concept of social finance, like, like we're the global leaders of social finance, I mean, arguably you could say, right? But in India, that concept is non-existent. There's no one really doing social finance at any scale in India today, right? So for me to go and find who those people are, you know, I actually found the first group on Twitter where I'm pretty active on Twitter, right? And I found like, you know, after I kind of got into the whole India FinTwit ecosystem, I kind of, it was very clear to me who I wanted on my team. And I've been pretty fortunate that they all, um, you know, bought into the vision, are very bullish on stock puts and wanted to be a part of the story. And so um, everyone I've hired so far has been very, you know, specific with the exact right skill set and passion for retail investing and understand this ecosystem really well. So for me, that's been my focus earlier on in this kind of team building process in India. One, you know, positive benefit that we have of being established in the U.S. and having 6 million users is that, I guess connecting with local partners, most people will take that first conversation with you, right? That, that does give me an advantage compared to a seed stage, series A startup who's trying to prove themselves, right? Because, you know, there is, you know, with some degree of confidence, we'll be around in 10 years, right? So that's what's exciting for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, having Times Bridge 
on and the power of the times group is something I'm super, super bullish on. And there have been phenomenal partners in the first, I guess it's only been a few months so far, but, but you know, we're super excited there. They own Economic Times and Business Insider India and ET Now, for example. So definitely the right TG for us in India as well. Yeah, so on the partnership side, you know, it, it, is, it is fun. And, and it's something where we're open to um, collaborating with people, you know, whether it's on the transaction side, the brokerage side, or whether it's on the community side. And I guess in, in perhaps different types of communities or things like that, where we can expand our reach and help our investing finance influencers gain more reach and mm-hmm. or provide more data to our retail investors that's more indie specific. So that's the kind of areas we're very focused on the partnership side is, in, I guess, is one reach and two data and tools. Yeah. No, and I think that's, again, you know, another very important point for, you know, founders to consider, uh, you know, collaboration is, is the way to go, especially when you're, you know, uh, getting into a completely new market. And yeah, your track record and pedigree and the kind of investors you're backed by has a say in kind of people that you can collaborate and, you know, strike those partnerships with. So great point there. Uh, Shiv, before we uh, get into our final segment, one question, what according to you is a vision and, you know, outlook for stock twits from here on uh, for the next five years, where do you see the company going from here? Well, I can't share too much just yet, um, as you can understand, DJ, but like, uh, I mean, I, I think the vision for us is to be the largest social finance uh, platform in the world. And then in order to do that, you have to be the biggest in India. I think that goes without saying, and I think we're committed to doing that. Um, I expect it to be a place where the conversation on Twitter is there, and I think it'll always be there, but, but Twitter in India is very small. Like my guess would be India, India Fintwit is probably two lakh people. Um, also, you know, the conversation on Twitter is very general. So Twitter is now your LinkedIn, where you want to sound smart and showcase how great you are to investors and partners and customers and future employers. Whereas I think the more hardcore conversations like, should I buy this dip in Paytm? Why are you bullish or bearish on Paytm? What did you think of this last earnings call? What did you think of this particular earnings call? Also, what is a power, I guess, I guess harnessing the power of the retail investor um, at scale is also a big opportunity for us. So imagine going forward and you have 10% of India who has DMAT accounts and are actively investing. That's a lot of money. Everyone focuses on FII and DII, which are, I mean, of course you should, but in the future, the retail investor is going to be quite powerful. Yeah. So, you know, how can we help, you know, other large companies kind of communicate the story and also, you know, give the data from our platform to help other investors make better investing decisions. So in the US, there's an ETF built solely on our data alongside Twitter and Reddit called, I think it's called Buzz, B-U-Z-Z is the ticker name and is built on our data, right? So I don't think we want to do that going forward per se. We may, I don't know, we'll see. But um, there's ways to leverage the data created on our platform to really add value and help and help retail investors make better decisions. Yep, no, I think fair enough. And, you know, I'm, I'm super bullish on the space as well. And there's, you know, big market and, you know, we just scratched the surface with these brokerages, you know, enabling that on-ramp. But I, I agree there has to be an ecosystem and a community which will help nurture those discussions and make them more aware and bring those sound decision-making to these kind of investors going forward. Yeah, the benefit of stock was actually like, I mean, we'll do a lot more product stuff going forward. But even now, if you were to go to the Paytm page on StockTwits, it's easier to, you know, uncover um, what's happening and things like that. Whereas on Twitter, you know, it's very general, 
right? Like you're not going to hear someone diving into the details of a latest earnings report, for example. You may hear general Gian on how large the market is or how bad the competition is with Google Pay and phone pay and things like that. But the specifics, you know, I think is super critical to the, to, I guess, to any finance community. And that's what we yeah. want to be. Cool, Shiv. Uh, you know, with that, uh, we'll, we'll jump into our final segment, you know, the rapid fire. Uh, I'll shoot some questions and hope to get your honest, immediate thoughts on the same. Sure, sure. All right. First question, uh, one thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today? In an ideal world, I would like every Indian startup to list in India. It really irritates me how, you know, um, you know, one, I wish markets were more democratized in general, especially the VC world. So I, I, I hope people, you know, I hope companies list earlier in their life cycles and go in and go in India. So that way the Indian retail investor can participate in their growth from an earlier point. That to me is the biggest wish that I have. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing early signs, uh, but just need to wait and see how that evolves. Yeah. The real test is going to be actually when this batch of software of Indian software IPOs go, because I think the consumer tech ones had a you know clear reason to list in India where people understand the story and things like that. But in software where you don't have as many pure play software companies. And then these companies may also have clients in the US as well, where it may help them to be listed in the US from a branding and a marketing perspective. I think that's where I'm really curious. I think that's where you'll see a lot of value creation that hopefully stays in India. Next question. If you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose and why? Mental health. So this is something I think that is just not discussed enough. You know, I think like, I think everyone needs a therapist. I think everyone has deep lying issues, maybe some worse than others, some, some that are more obvious in their, in their daily lives than others. But I think this is an area that I've recently um, in the past few years kind of but started to kind of dive into a bit more. And this is something that I think should become mainstream. It should be okay to discuss things like this with your boss or your coworkers or your friends in a more, I guess, less difficult environment, in a more friendly, in a more welcoming manner. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Next question, uh, PCs and founders uh, that you admire and look up to. Sure. So I'd say the first one who comes to mind is Howard Lindzen. So he's a founder of Stockwitz. It's not a plug for Howard by any means, but you know he's the first to really help me understand the power of the retail investor, help me um, you know, understand the concept of social finance and social media and influencers. I was you know, not aware of this world being a, in, in a very different occupation and job before. And he really exposed me to how large of an opportunity this is and how it's kind of far, it's farther along, even prior to GameStop and Dogecoin, than people actually realize. Um, also, Ashish Gupta is a, uh, you know, you know, person who, who's probably the most humble and one of the most, you know, the most knowledgeable and thoughtful investors that I've ever encountered. So I was on the board of What Fix with him for a short period of time and really learned a lot in my brief interactions with him. And then lastly, um, Nitin Kamath. So he's built a phenomenal business with, I think, almost zero marketing spend, very product centric. And he's a guy who is clearly very pro the retail investor. And he even makes comments that, you know, probably go against his own revenue at, at points with the longer term vision in mind. And I think he's a great advocate who I look up to um, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. No, very well said. Shiv, it's been a great conversation. You know, before uh, we sign off, uh, any last thoughts for, you know, both current and aspiring uh, founders that are listening to you through the podcast? 
I think you know this has been very well covered. You know, DJ, I don't have a whole whole lot more to add. I'd say the only other thing I would say people may not realize is like um, is the power of social media really matters, right? And creating your own brand, whether it's inside your profession or outside after you leave your role as a founder, go to your next job or the following job, or you, or you, or you become an investor later on in life. I think building your own personal brand via social media is kind of the future and you have to do it. So I think the sooner people start, the better it is and, and they'll um, accrue dividends in the long run, I think the sooner they begin. No, absolutely. Well taken. And, you know, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Shiv, like I said, it's been an amazing conversation. Uh, thank you so much for taking out the time and, you know, hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon again. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome to be on. Cheers, Shiv. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VCpreneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.